Well, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive, in which we take a deeper look at the passage or topic of focus from the weekend. We hit uh, things that we didn't either have time uh, to get to in the sermon, or we just look at uh, other topics that are just kind of extra and gives us a chance to have some dialogue and conversation. Um, on this podcast, what we like to do is say, let's keep our Bibles open. We want to ask good questions of the text. Uh, we want to understand what is God trying to communicate um, to us about uh, who we are, about who He is, and about what it looks like to live faithfully in His world. Uh, my name is Brad. I am one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm joined again this week for week two. That means it went well last week. Uh, Jeff yes. Harding, yeah. uh, our family ministries pastor. Uh, Jeff, this last weekend was really cool, like having the family worship experience, um, our family worship service. So tell us just a little bit about that for those who maybe either weren't here. Um, what's the heartbeat behind what we do on months where there's a fifth Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, um, I believe, fifth family worship Sunday, maybe, maybe the fourth since I've been here. And um, the heart of it came behind a conversation that Christy Lamb, our children's ministry director, and I had about getting the kids more involved in service and looking at, you know, what's a good rhythm of getting them involved that's not like, okay, we're going to do this major shift once a month or more or whatever else. Yeah. And it's like, what's a good gradual work in? And Fifth Sundays, with there being three to four every year, seemed like a good place to start. And, you know, the first few that we had in 2022 um, were good, like, prototypes, but mm -hmm. not really the full vision of what we wanted. Yeah. And the one this past Sunday and the one before that um, uh, in January, I believe, uh, was more the outline that we want. So not just like a transplanted kid service or mm -hmm. like here's a kid song and the rest of the service is normal. The whole thing kind of speaks to all generations. So it's very much, yes, mom and dad, biological at home family or adoptive family or you know, all the ways that God's uh, given us to take people who are in the world and give them a good home. Mm -hmm. So family at home and also our church family, right? Mm -hmm. You can't miss the metaphors and imagery of the family throughout Scripture. And mm -hmm. so church family, at-home family, um, and so to have the CAA group of our fourth and fifth graders helping lead the whole church in worship, you know, we've had Neely give a lesson, um, you know, Pastor Dan helped me and us be able to do that with a fun little, our own story lab. So yeah, yeah, week, yeah, yeah. We do a story lab video back for uh, the elementary kids. So this time we had our own story lab. Got to get, bring the kids down front, see a nice little transformation that mimics Saul's mm -hmm. transformative conversion. And uh, just the message that Dan gave after of, to parents and to everybody else of, you know, being qualified for ministry and being faithful. Um, and you know how that works into how parents raise their kids, yeah, and uh, and grandparents as well. You know, yeah. are you looking at um, college acceptance letters and marks of like success? Are you looking at like fruit of the spirit and mm -hmm. like how you're investing in your kids and how they're loving others well? Mm. You know, so kind of an all generational approach. And it's a lot of fun. We really enjoy being, being able to do it. Yeah, I love it. I, those, those fifth Sundays are some of my favorite Sundays of the year just because it is, like you said, it's, it's the kids are present, um, but it's not a kid's service. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not an adult service with, like, you know, one thing for the kids. Like, it's, hey, no, this is, we want this to be church. Yep. And, um, you know, Calvary, one of the things that I just so appreciate about our church is we, we're for families. Um, we've, ever since the beginning of our church, we've been for 
for families. And the way we do that family ministry kind of changes and evolves as, as things change and as family dynamics change and as culture changes. And um, But anyway, yeah, those fifth Sundays are just really, really special. And I think they're, um, you know, for so many people, um, the the kids are like the the almost the engine for mm-hmm. for church involvement like yeah. Yeah. um because they want their kids to be in church and they want their kids to have that foundation um so anyway it's just great to be in a space together um all together well this week we are in as you, you mentioned acts chapter 9 mm-hmm. so continuing this uh the series the church the world needs uh, where we've been walking through the book of acts and seeing hey how did god um cultivate equip uh, the early church to to meet you know this new thing that he was doing in light of the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, yeah. So last week we were in, in chapter eight. This week we're in chapter nine, and this is a a major uh, turning point uh, in the book of Acts. So we we see um, so far we've we've seen the uh, the early church you know really be in Jerusalem and then start to kind of go into Judea and Samaria. Uh, we see the persecution that got started after um, the the death of Stephen, a persecution that Saul was part of leading. Uh, then last week, you know, we talked about the, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, um, but he's going to go back to Africa. So now this gospel thing is starting to spread um, to that, you know, ends of the earth. And Saul is going to have a major role um, he's going to really show up again on the scene here. Uh, There's going to be a major uh, conversion thing that happens, and then he's going to go away for a few chapters, and then he's going to come back, and then the rest of the Acts, he's a, a main a main player. Mm-hmm. And so um, this story, is a, it's, a, it's a familiar story. Uh, if you weren't with us this weekend, I just invite you to uh, check, out the, check out the whole service and not just the message um, on demand. But uh, Jeff, the... This story, can you just give us like a synopsis, a summary? Like what what happened? We, we hear about the Damascus Road experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just give us like a 30,000-foot view of, of this. Yeah, so you have Saul um, who, you know, even in the opening verses of chapter 9, uh, kind of almost links it back to the stoning of Stephen mm-hmm. and, you know, still breathing murderous threats against uh, the followers of the way. And in the book of Acts... I think it's the only uh, book in Scripture that refers to Christians as the way, like the early movement yeah. of the church. And he's going to Damascus. Like, this is the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. This is the way, Mandalorian fans. And so, um, yeah, so he's going after the, the people of the way, and he's going to synagogues in um, Damascus. So synagogues shows, like, Christianity is so closely tied to Judaism, and yeah. Damascus shows... Even without Paul, yet how far the gospel's already traveled, mm. and so um, so he's going there. He has letters from the high priest to go and arrest these people, and there's a blinding light in the road. The people with him see the light, but either can't understand or hear the voice of who's talking. But Paul, Saul, clearly sees Jesus before him, and says, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And Jesus here closely links the church to him because. Um, you see later in, in Acts when he's talking about his conversion story, he says, I was a persecutor of the church, of the church, of the church. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. So he links, he links the... himself to his church and um, tells him where he's supposed to go, what's going to happen. And so he's blinded at that experience. The people walking with him have to lead him to Damascus. 
and he's waiting uh, in this house on Straight Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, Ananias, not the Ananias we talked about a little while ago, uh, mm-hmm. who, who lied and died. And died. Uh, but another one who is an apostle and a follower of Jesus, um, you know, the Holy Spirit leading him to say, hey, Saul of Tarsus is mm-hmm. here. And do you need to go do these things, say these things to him, lay your hands on him because I'm going to because I'm going to use him for mm-hmm. the ministry of the church. Um, I'm going to make him suffer for my name. Yeah, right, is what he talks about. Yeah, and so imagine in an eyes like, wait, <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Like this dude who looks forward to jailing and even helping slaughter Christians. Yes, uh, you want me to go and like encourage him and okay, and so. He does that, um, Brother Saul, he says, coming in. Like, wow, yep. what an affirming, like, oh, hey, yeah. someone's here who is affirming me. And, you know, says, you are healed. You, you're good to go and be used. And Saul gets his sight back. He's weak from the walk, from the experience of Christ, from walking there. Probably can imagine mentally, emotionally what's going on in his head. And he takes food and is strengthened. And the next verse after, which is a little bit outside of our story for this past Sunday, Immediately starts preaching. Starts preaching the immediately, um, and so for Saul and Ananias, faithful obedience and dependence on God was a theme for both of them throughout. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There so it is. good. And then you had, um, you know, the disciples, the apostles, being a little wary of accepting him. Barnabas was like, "Hey, no, he's he was preaching." Like, uh-huh. um, so anyway, such a such a powerful story. This this experience that Saul has on the Damascus Road, where um, the risen Christ appears to him. Uh, theologians refer to this event as the Christophany, right? It's an appearance of Christ. And um, we see throughout Paul's writings and his theology how much how much of a shaping effect this Christophany has oh, on, yeah. on, on him as a person. He keeps going back to this event, um, and, it, and it shapes him. And, that, and I think from an application point, like, um, we do that too, right? Like we we think about our our testimonies, or you know, our conversions, or our moment where um, this Jesus thing became real in a way that was um, maybe not true for us before. And like, there, there's a powerful reminder for us of of who um, of who Jesus is and what He's done mm-hmm. in our lives. Okay, so so Saul, um, Paul. Uh, first off, I guess like, what's in a name? Like, you know, he's Saul, and then he just starts going by. Paul, um, is there a space where where we get the uh, hey you're gonna go now by Paul? Yeah, or does it just kind of happen? It just kind of happens. It's yeah. kind of vague because um, other places in Scripture, when God changes somebody's name, like there's a you are now this name, right? And they right? might even build an altar to God too. Like yeah, a whole bunch of yeah. boom boom. Here it is, and yeah. it's kind of gray. And you know, a lot of scholars look at this and say, well, actually, the name Saul and Paul, like. Could be looked at like just as like a, a nickname as well. So maybe he didn't actually change his name. Maybe he did. Like there's some kind of arguments against that. So it's not like it has to be this. It's here's who he says he is. And I says, Brother Saul, and Saul goes to be used by the Lord, but then he says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Like, did he ever call himself Paul before that? Maybe. We don't know. Yeah. And so um names are very, very important in how God made us, right? Every name under heaven and earth is from the name mm-hmm. of Jesus, right? And so, um, but it, that's a weird little thing of like, it just kind of, whoop, just kind of happens. Yeah. And it stands, kind of like you said, it stands 
distinct from every other time in scripture where it's like, now your name is. Yeah. So it could be like, like it was just kind of like a dialect change or a nickname of it, or it was very purposeful and it wasn't just mentioned like it was past times. Yeah. One of the things I've heard is that Saul is his Jewish name and Paul is his Greek name. Right. That makes a lot of sense too. So Solus, Solus, Paul, or however the, the, vernacular right. goes yeah and so up to this point right he has been acting in out of his out of his jewishness mm-hmm. right he is a a a zealous um you know leader in the in the jewish um community so it would be it would it would make sense that his name would be that he'd go by saul and that mm-hmm. he'd be known as saul um but what we're gonna see is he he leaves the Jewish community and he becomes the missionary to the Gentiles mm-hmm. uh, in a Greek speaking world. Uh the New Testament's written in Greek. And so um again, it's it's odd that there's not a more of a definitive statement there, mm-hmm. but um there is a, a shift in as Luke is writing Acts, he just starts using the Paul mm-hmm. word. Now it's interesting in the book of Acts, it's written by Luke. Uh, so the the same you know physician who compiled the go- you know his, the gospel of Luke, mm-hmm. um, and then he writes Acts, and a lot of of his writing is actually based on uh, testimony and interviews with Paul. Um, Luke and Paul, as we know from later in the book of Acts, they they travel together, they um, do ministry together, um, and so yeah, it would have been fascinating. I mean, like I would imagine that Paul would talk about you know his name and whatnot, but. Yeah, yeah. I, anyway. I love that you mentioned that partnership with Luke. Um, and Luke, I think, shows the consistency of Paul's message and the impact Jesus had because two other times in Acts, Acts 22 and Acts 26, before the Jews when he was seizing the temple and then before King Agrippa, Paul tells the story in detail explicitly again. Mm-hmm. So three times in Acts we see the story of Paul's conversion. Yeah, And so like, I think Luke is... Showing, he could have just mentioned it maybe one other time or has still details, but he records the whole thing and shows like, no, like this has a lasting impact and will have lasting impact. Yeah. And Paul can give every single detail. Look, he doesn't hear it twice. Yeah. And so like it's a very much yeah. a big message of going through like it's still a big deal, still a big deal. Well, and Paul becomes this, you know, this huge proponent of grace. And we see that in Galatians. We see mm-hmm. that in, um, you know, his letters to the Corinthians, like. Yeah, a lot of grace for the Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But even for his own story, right? Like, he's oh, like, yeah. I'm the chief of all sinners. That's I right. Mean, this is why, you know, our conversion stories and our testimony stories are so powerful. Um, what God has done to deliver us from, you know, our previous former lives. And then, you know, we, we're, all, we're in this already not yet where, you know, Christ has already come. He's already conquered death, but he hasn't come back. And so we still live in this in-between where um, we're, we're wrestling with these, with the impacts of our, of our fallen selves and our, our, our brokenness of being just part of mm-hmm. a broken world. Um, so you can, you can surely, you know, I, I just think of Paul, like he probably was preaching the gospel to himself all the time, and yet there were probably these, these, these moments where he would wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night just remembering things that he had been part of and, and, yeah. and did. So, um, okay, so what made uh, Paul such a perfect missionary to the Gentiles? Yeah. Like, he's a an enigma. Like, when you think about um, those, uh, the Dos Equis commercials, the most interesting man, man in the oh, world. I like, miss those commercials. I mean, I know, they're so good. Like, I mean, you could easily put Paul, and I mean, he's a tent maker. Like, 
He's a tent maker <laughs> who knows Greek and Hebrew and a Roman citizen and like a master expert in the law. Like Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a he's a unicorn. And he's single, <laughs> um, which which probably was was not normal for a, a man his age at that at that time, even mm-hmm. amongst religious leaders. Um so let's break this down. Okay. So um you, you mentioned that okay, well let's start with he's he's a Jewish man. Um why was that important? Well, very important because, you know, as being raised as a good Jewish uh, boy, man, you know, he knows all of the 613 commandments of the Mosaic law. You know, even going back to Stephen's last words before he prays for Jesus to receive his spirit, you know, he's like, you've read the law and you don't follow it. And so to him, like, oh, the law's in danger. And so he's very much like caring and zealous, right? Yeah. He describes himself that way a zealous, zealot person for the law, to follow it well. And if you're saying this Jesus person is the Son of God, you're a blasphemer, we got to get you out of here. So knows the law very well. Probably had a lot of the Old Testament even memorized. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it. And so, and also his status as a Roman citizen and his um, just intelligence and intellect to be able to... Um, give good reasoning and logic you mm-hmm. see throughout the way he talks like he didn't just start talking that way yes he has the holy spirit so it's all inspired and very different but like the way that he was just born and the way that he mm-hmm. was able to add these things to his uh, intellectual tool bag of being able to um converse with people uh very smartly in different languages and different cultures uh jesus used that for yeah. the advancement of the gospel and yeah. so you know, very powerful tools that were there. And I, you know, ironically, of course, uh, being able to use that against the people of Jesus and now purely using it for Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, his, so his Jewish um, identity, his Jewish, you know, his knowledge of the Torah, his knowledge of the law. Um, you know, we talked last week, he brought that big book, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. Mm hmm. And one of the uh, characteristics of New Testament letters, one of the, you know, not that we're going to get fully into the apologetics of it right here, but, um, you know, we, we, the question arises like, hey, why is this, why did this book make it and not this one? Uh, why did this letter make it and not this one? And one of the key characteristics of New Testament writings is, well, does it quote the Old Testament and how does it interact with the Old Testament? And so um, his ability to, to point and connect the Old Testament story of God to this new reality in Jesus, um, I think is just, it's a, it's incredible Mm -hmm. because a lot of the questions that even, um, you know, Gentile, you know, Greek thinkers, Greek people would have had, um, God answers in the old Testament. And so you have to have both. Um, and so love that with him. Uh, you mentioned his Roman citizenship. I, this is an, this is incredible. Like you, we wonder now at this point in history, okay, when's Jesus coming back? Like, well, okay, if, yeah, if Revelation says the whole world will know, like, oh, well, now we have smartphones, maybe now is the time, right? But f- the fact that um, the, Rome, the Roman Empire was, uh, you know, was in power, the fact that they were experts, road builders, um, like, there was an ability for the gospel to, to, to be transported in a way that yeah. hadn't existed yet. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so anyway, he's a he's a Roman citizen. There's now there's certain uh, privileges uh, for being a Roman citizen. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
we see in Acts at the end, even, uh, he goes before um, before Caesar, mm-hmm. right? Like that is a privilege for a Roman citizen. Uh, any anyone who has a, who has Roman citizenship, whether they were born into it, whether they you know bought it, whether they inherited, it, I mean, there's there's all these different ways you can become a citizen. But one of the things you you can do is every Roman citizen has the right to appeal. If they are put on trial, they can appeal that all the way up to the level of Caesar. He gets an audience with with Caesar to share the gospel. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, there's other things that you know that, that comes up. All right, Greek uh, Greek educated. Yeah, you hit on this a little bit already, but um, he was a master. Um, writer, a master uh, at formulating um, Greek arguments, and, yeah. and he was a master rhetorician, and like, he doesn't always use it. We see that in First Corinthians. He's like, hey, I'm, not, I'm, I'm only going to boast in Jesus. I'm not going to use flowery speech because the gospel is enough. Uh, he could turn it on, though, when he, when he wanted to. Acts 16. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. He, as a Greek, you know, as a Greek thinker, as, as somebody who has been Greek educated, uh, he can use. I mean, yeah, Acts sixteen, Acts seventeen, right? He, he knew the philosophies of the people of of the age. He could interact with their way of thinking mm-hmm. because it was familiar to him and yeah. it was known to him. Um, so anyway, he had all these different. And then he was a tent maker, right? He had a profession. He, I'm sure, he's a master, like you know, at relationships. We see that in the, you know, in all of his letters, like, hey, uh, say hello to so and so, and so and so, and so and so, and I'm always praying for you. I hope that thing that you were, you know, wrestling with is still, you know, is okay. Like, I got to think that some of that was, you know, from his time as a tent maker, mm-hmm. like just in the marketplace, doing the trade, having conversations as he's working. Um, but then another thing that I, I, I think is important, and I want to talk about a little bit here, um, he was single. So, so Jeff, how is this, like, how is singleness, in a, in a way, at least for Paul, a gift for him to be able to, to do the ministry and the work of being the missionary to the Gentiles? Yeah, it allows him to focus on uh, just a mission that uh, Jesus himself has given him. And, uh, you know, Paul mentions... Uh, that being single can can very much be a gift, um, and for him specifically, it's so he can, can be freed up a little bit more for ministry. Well, that's First Corinthians seven. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know that that also actually full circle goes back to family worship. You know, you know uh, the last church I moved from from Dallas, where this idea of family worship really got solidified for me, and I saw really good examples mm. of it. That's where the emphasis of the church family comes in, because you know the idea of scripture even and looking at Christ as the groom and the church as the bride, you know, it's kind of weird to maybe say it this way, but, you know, this message of Scripture and who Jesus is is, like, God wants to marry us. He has this covenant relationship with us and cares for us. And yes, uh, you know, here on earth, the way that he created marriage does mimic that, has a lot to do with that, but that doesn't complete you. Jesus completes you. And so the idea of relationship to Jesus and being made in God's image and finding dependence and fullness in Him mm-hmm. gives you purpose already and yeah. worth already. You're not worth more. You're not better than, a better tier. You're simply a different stage and way of obedience and dedication to each other 
but not superior to as far as your worth and how God can use you. And so everyone's part of the family yeah. of God, right? And so practically speaking, obviously with time-wise and being committed and just how your orient your orientation of relationship to one another is different when you're living as one flesh, husband and wife. Mm-hmm. But when you're just a man or a woman who's doing their job or doing anything they can in the church or just for others in their lives, God can use that and bless that as well. And mm, so, yeah, um, yeah, that actually, the his element of singleness, which Paul's a great example of that, ties very much into, I think, a healthier perspective of how we look at the family of God in the church. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, Peter, our uh, in-studio producer, What? how much time we have left? About five? Five minutes? Okay. Um, Jeff, anything else that, that you wanted to hit on uh, that sticks out to you from this passage or from Paul's, you know, early story? Yeah, um, I... I just love uh, Paul's transparency and honesty, and I know, uh, you know, wherever people fall on the theological scale, he can be frustrating, and even Peter says, you know, in his his letters, um, I don't get everything that, that Paul says, you know, some of it's like, woo, it's way above me. Yeah. This Greek trained, you know, in Acts 22, before he shares his story of conversion again, the guards who sees him are like, wait, do you speak Greek? And then in Hebrew, he addresses everyone else. So like, he can just turn it on like a switch, yeah. just this amazingly gifted person who is humbled in suffering, um, like ongoing suffering that we don't even know fully. You know, he mentions a thorn in the flesh. He mentions... You know, I've experienced all these things, but thanks for praying for me. He's always quick to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the marketplace guy, like, thank you for this and thank you for that, the, the relational aspect of it. Uh, Epaphroditus in Philippians, who the church sent to care for him, almost died. So ironically, Paul ends up caring for him to make sure he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Like, the ups and downs he goes through after this point, and yet the humility, yeah. you know, I think it's in Galatians uh, or Colossians, where he gathers people that he trusts and preaches the gospel to him to make sure he's preaching the same gospel. This is at least 13 years into his ministry. Yeah. And so he needs accountability. He's like, I'm not better than you. I need to make sure we're affirmed in this, you know, in Philippians as well. Hey, people um, are against me and preaching gospel out of spite for me, but hey, they're preaching the gospel. So it's heard. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have that attitude. And so, yeah, yeah, just someone who God uses well and is a really, really good picture of suffering Mm. And um, knowing how to live greatly with a lot of things and knowing how to live with yeah. nothing, and that's the heart of Philippians 4.13, is mm-hmm. I'm, I can find contentment in Christ no matter what, not I can lift this dumbbell, right? It's mm-hmm. um, just the ability to live in full dependence and faith. Yeah. And he's, you know, a great, great example of that. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, next week, we're going to get into Acts chapter 10. Uh, there's this just real pivotal... Um, story uh, with Peter and Cornelius and a mm-hmm. dream and visions and, um, you know, God doing this new thing and, and Peter uh, finally getting it, although he's going to forget it again later. But um, Paul's going to go away for a bit. He's going to spend years in, in Arabia uh, being ministered to and, and working out this gospel of grace before uh, he'll again arise on the scene um, again. So anyway, thank you for joining us uh, this week on for this week's episode. Again, just as always, if you have a question or um, something you'd like to see covered in a future episode, you can email us at podcast at calvary.church. 
And uh, you can find this resource as well as other resources like a, um, a weekly devotion on our website, calvary.church/resources. And uh, it's just been a it's just been a joy to talk about Paul's uh, journey and his conversion. And we will catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.